0: Hello and welcome back to Chronicle, the History of Newcastle United. I'm Matt Ketchell, the Northeast Football app and engagement editor here at Chronicle Live, and this is episode six of our walk through the history of Newcastle United. Last week we covered 1905 to 1909. Newcastle won the league three times in five years, but lost three FA Cup finals in the same period. Today for episode six we're covering 1909-1910. And to walk us through this highly significant season, I'm joined by Paul Joanneu, Newcastle United's official club historian, the ultimate expert in Newcastle history, and I'm pleased to say we get to talk about Newcastle winning more silverware. Paul, set the scene then, going into the 1909-1910 season. Newcastle are top dogs, aren't they?
1: Uh, They certainly are. Um, As the season uh, began, Newcastle, without doubt, were, were the final side in the country, with a team full of big-name international players, uh, well-known footballers across the country. Um, what they really needed was to lift the FA Cup back then, maybe even a bigger prize than the actual Football League Championship. Um, 1910 was to be the year. After three unsuccessful attempts, they at last claimed a trophy.
0: Any big-name signings secured from across the border in the Scottish hotbed that Newcastle has been tapping into for at least a decade now?
1: Uh, yes, virtually every season they, they, they went into the transfer market and bought one or two uh, uh, established and well, well-known footballers. Uh, this season they purchased another Scot called Wilf Lowe and he added a resolute presence in the midfield area. He was nicknamed the Laughing Cavalier, uh, but he was a gritty competitor uh, who took no prisoners on the field and he was a big addition uh, to the side.
0: And there's also a, another famous name, from the time he'd become a regular in the team, Irish fullback Bill McCracken. Can you tell us about Bill? I'm sure his name will resonate with a number of Newcastle fans, even those who just have a passing interest in Newcastle football history. They'll recognise that name, Bill McCracken.
1: Yeah, McCracken was one of the great names of football in pre-war days, and uh, his memory lives on even, even now. Uh, he was a colourful and controversial character. Castle signed him after impressing, playing with the Belfast Belfast Club distillery. Um, he eventually became a regular right back and developed into a tactical genius in what was then only a two-man defence in front of goalkeeper Jimmy Lawrence. Um, he eventually, you know, with with his other fullback, perfected the offside game with expert positional play, and that was a feature of Newcastle's play, uh, which frustrated opponents and fans alike. He and he be, became a very much became a, a target of abuse from the crowd. Uh, because of this uh, tactical trap that he uh, sprung in virtually every game. And eventually, due to those tactics, and and Bill McCracken especially, the law was changed in 1925 in favour of attacking players. Uh, Bill went on to play 444 games for Newcastle United. Not many players have uh, played outfield more than him. And he played on until 1923 with the Magpies, then entered management in in later became a a very well-known scout uh, and he scouted right into his 90s.
0: Amazing. Legend of the game and the club, of course. So all eyes were on the club going into this season, 1909-1910. How did they get on?
1: Well, uh, they finished uh, uh, well up the league in in that season uh, in fourth place and they put a really big effort uh, into the FA Cup, uh, as has been the case in United's colourful past right up to modern days, uh, controversy wasn't very far away. At the time of the semi-final, um, when they played Swindon Town, uh, who were a a decent side back then, uh, star centre forward, Albert Shepherd, was caught up in a a, a suspected bribery scandal. uh, And he was sensationally dropped for the semi-final and his colleagues didn't like the decision by the directors at all, they were in uproar. The allegations, as far as they were concerned, uh were were media garbage there were just rumor and no substantiation to them at all uh yet united played on without their goal scoring star who scored, who grabbed thirty one goals that season, so he was a a really big uh influence on the side in nineteen o nine to ten uh they went on and won the semi final uh and went on to the final of course
0: was there any truth in the bribery scandal as far as we know?
1: Well, there appears not. Uh, there was lots and lots of uh, stories and, and rumours. And at the time, there were, there were you know, several occasions when players had been uh, suspected of being got by, up uh, by the bookies. And uh, the press back then latched onto anything uh, remotely like that. So um, it all blew out of all proportion, apparently. So um, uh, there was nothing that very true about it at all.
0: Mm. The press blowing things out of proportion. How things never change. <laughs> it yeah. would be a huge story now. I mean, that is like the equivalent of Harry Kane being dropped for bribery. Just amazing to think of it, as it was back then. Was Albert allowed to play in the final?
1: Uh, yeah, the players made sure that uh, that Albert uh, was reinstated. Um, you know, they in fact demanded that he was uh, that he had to play. Um, And they even threatened um, that they wouldn't play in the final if if Albert Shepherd didn't uh, return. Uh, But he did, and he was to become the cup final hero. And that couldn't be uh, imagined, really. Uh, But it wasn't until another failure at the Crystal Palace um, Mm. against Barnsley, who, again, like Swindon, were a top side back then. They never played to potential, and the game ended in a 1-1 draw. Uh, and Newcastle even had to score a late equaliser to earn a replay.
0: Yes, and I actually have a newspaper report here from the 25th of April 1910 that I'm, I'm going to share with you now, listeners, which gives us a nice flavour of the occasion. doesn't sound like it was a classic, but bear with me. I'm going to read this newspaper report. It's in tiny, tiny letters, so I'm going to do my best here. But The headline is Drawn Game in English Cup Finals. Superb defence on both sides makes the Barnsley and Newcastle forwards appear moderate well-matched opponents, sullen crowd and no enthusiasm at the railway termini at night. So here we go, the report reads, The long-anticipated final tie for the English Cup at the Crystal Palace on Saturday proved a most disappointing affair for Barnsley and Newcastle United, as they could not decide which club should hold the trophy for a year, and a replay is to take place at Everton next Thursday. The final is always looked upon as a climax to the football season, and a replay is very much in the nature of an anticlimax. There will be, of course, a big crowd at Everton, but the match of the week that will arouse the most interest will be the league final at Tottenham on Saturday, which will decide whether Chelsea or the Spurs play in the second division next season. This year, the invading army from the north seems stronger than ever, and yet the attendance at the Palace could not have been much over 70,000. It was a northern crowd. A large proportion of the vast assembly must have been made up of excursionists, but doubtless the 30,000 Londoners who went to Chelsea would have been present at the Palace, had not such an intense interest attached to the closing league games of the season. At night after the match, I spent the last half hour before midnight at the Euston Road, watching the Trippers make their way to King's Cross, St. Pancras, or Euston. It was a sullen, dead crowd. There was no enthusiasm. There was no shouting for Barnsley or Newcastle. There was no excitement and there was no drunkenness. They had come up to town to see one or the other side win the cup and neither had done it. So they went home dispirited and morose. As special after special steamed out of the various termini, there was no waving of flags and banners, no cheering for either the Geordies or the Tykes. The same story may be told of the West End. The music halls and the theatres were filled to overflowing, and one could readily detect the accents of the Lancashire, Yorkshire, or Northumbrian Tripper among the audiences, but they were not enthusiastic. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, a great little um, extract there from the Daily Mirror of, of of the, of the time it uh, gives a nice little flavour that uh, the fans went home disappointed but four days later there was an opportunity for Newcastle to win the cup they travelled to Everton and they did finally get their hands on what was arguably the biggest prize in football the FA Cup
1: Yes they did and, and it was a different story really uh, now they were away from the sort of spellbinding Crystal Palace arena and at Goodison Park United were back to the best really uh, and they played very well and Albert Shepherd took all the praise after his previous uh, uh, headlines. He scored with a typical dash through the middle and netted uh, the very first penalty kick in the cup final. Uh, United won 2-0 and had at last secured the English Cup.
0: Brilliant. And again, I have the Daily Mirror, this time from the 29th of April, 1910. And on page 18, there's a little write-up. And I'm going to read another extract here, which which is quite interesting. It says, Newcastle at last win the cup crowd indignant at methods adopted against Barnsley in replayed final. So here it reads, Liverpool, Thursday, Newcastle United won the English Cup in the replayed final at Everton today, beating Barnsley by 2-0, but the manner in which they won did not commend itself to the crowd, and before the end, cries of dirty Newcastle were heard on all hands, at the state of affairs probably unique in the history of the club. Newcastle have always been famed for their scrupulous fair play, but there were cases of deliberate kicking today, When Downs, who had been badly lamed in the first half, was lifted off his feet by a kick in the abdomen in the second half, the foul play reached its climax, and the offender should without a moment's hesitation have been ordered off the field. But the penalty of a free kick was all that was given against Newcastle. It really seemed as if some of the players had deliberately gone onto the field to win at all costs. Had it been heavy charging, it would have been another story, but kicking is inexcusable, and there were two or three glaring cases of it. There was a tremendous crowd present, and if the ground holds 60,000, then that number were present. Half an hour before the start, the crowd crowd had broken in, and the mounted police and a strong posse of men on foot had been requisitioned to clear the playing arena, which was done before the time to start. So that's an interesting take on things.
1: Yeah, well, (laughs) I I did say that they were very determined to win the FA Cup, and they (laughs) they did mix up their possession play with some rough tactics in, in the re- replayed final without doubt. But they made sure they won it.
0: Exactly, yeah. They just couldn't afford to lose another final. And I'll just read another quick extract which gives a flavour of the match itself because I know we have talking about the atmosphere really around both finals. But here's an extract that, that tells us a bit like what it was on the pitch. It was quick, scrambling football with Newcastle the cleverer side and Barnsley the more dashing. Bartrop and Gatsby made several dangerous incursions on the Barnsley right wing and once, with Lawrence out of his goal, a shot by Gatsby was only turned aside by Carr at the expense of a corner. At the other end, Boyle twice cleared from under the bar when Mearns was clearly beaten. Wilson and Higgins kept making dangerous attacks on the Newcastle left wing, but they hung on the ball for too long at times, and Downs and Ness, to say nothing of Boyle, were able to concentrate on defence. By this time, the field had churned up badly, and the lighter Barnsley men were simply covered with mud while their heavier opponents were able to keep their feet, Veach was the star artist of this half and his play was simply delightful. He kept feeding both wings splendidly and then he cleared after a corner when it looked certain that Barnsley would score. Mearns once made a miraculous save from Rutherford after the latter had drawn the Barnsley goalkeeper out of his goal by diving at the ball and just turning it round the post. Half-time came with nothing scored. Downs was going about about with a limp and and a jump in the second half but he kicked as well as ever. Seven minutes after the interval, a movement started by Veach on the right, so Higgins pushed the ball through for Shepard to make one of his characteristic dashes. Downs could not catch him, and he went through the backs, and although Mearns came out, he was too late, and Shepard scored for Newcastle with a fast ground shot. <laughs> so yeah, the amazing imagery there um, that, that tells us what it was, what, a bit of what it was like to play on the pitch, and Veach clearly pulling the strings, and Shepard up front executing it, and that is eventually what happened. Shepard would also go on to score a penalty, and we eventually won the fa cup
1: yeah at long last
0: Mm -hmm. and uh veach was the skipper by then he was a formidable player as formidable a player as he was a person wasn't he can you tell us a bit about colin beach
1: yeah well he uh he lifted the trophy um at uh goodison park um and that was a, a different piece of silverware than to the famous cup we all know now um it was much smaller finely engraved and United were the last holders of that that particular uh, cup before a new one was introduced. The trophy was recently sold um, just this year at auction for a cool 760,000 pounds. So it it is a lovely and valuable piece of silverware. Uh, In terms of Colin Veach, um, well, what can I say? Um, He was captain of the side then and a real leader of the team on and off the field. He was at Newcastle for over 25 years Um, As a player, he was only five foot six inches tall, but very versatile. He could play in right across midfield and in any attacking position as well. And by 1910, he was a leading and respected figure nationwide Um, and and to be a, a very early players union advocate fighting against what was then an authoritarian football association and football league. And he was chairman of the union uh, the following year, 1911, uh, until 1918. Uh, he remained at St. James's Park until 1926. Uh, and after playing, he went into coaching and managed uh, Newcastle United's uh, junior side, which was called the Newcastle Swifts. He remained a very familiar figure in the northeast, becoming a journalist with the Chronicle and Journal until his death, death just before the war.
0: Mm, fantastic. A former Chronicle employee, no less. Great to speak about him on Chronicle, the history podcast. We've got some bonus content here then, Paul, for people watching on YouTube. I've uh, flashed up a picture of the victorious team arriving back at Central Station with the trophy in 1910. I'll put this image on our website and uh, there'll be a link for that in the show description if you want to see it. But, Paul, can you talk us through this fantastic shot?
1: Yeah, well, United's homecoming to Tyneside uh, with the FA Cup was sensational. Uh, this really didn't happen uh, for when they won the league titles. Uh, the English Cup was very, very different. As they arrived at the central station, crowds packed all the streets In estimates over 100,000 were around uh, the main areas of the station and and the streets that the club went on a parade and the side went on their very first procession with the trophy uh, in an open top tram. Now, the picture uh, shows you know just a mass of people outside the, the main portico of the central station and you can see uh, up on one of the the balconies uh, three waitresses in their um, white uh, outfit and they were had a, had a bird's eye view of the team coming uh, into the crowd with the mm-hmm. FA cup and you can just see a little silver trophy amongst the crowd. So it's a wonderful picture and there's there's sort of half a dozen pictures like this which exist so uh, but this is the best one.
0: Mm, it's amazing, yeah, fantastic shot and you can clearly see it's central station and would this have been the evening of the game or the following day, do you think, perhaps?
1: Uh, it would be the following day, I think. Following uh, day. I do have the details, but I couldn't tell you exactly at the moment.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Well, 100,000 turning out shows just how important it was to the fans and to the city. They'd finally done it. So, on to the following season then, 19 10, 11 the league form dropped, but there was better results in the cup again, wasn't there?
1: Yeah, probably 1910 11 uh, was one last season as the country's top club uh, in the reach, of the FA Cup final yet again. Injury rocked uh, the side, um, and of course, that Crystal Palace curse, um, and, and that made sure the trophy ended up in Bradford rather than in Newcastle. Mm. Uh, United lost key players, both Peter McWilliam and Albert Shepard. Uh, were badly injured before the final, and both of them uh, sustained very serious injuries and uh, both finished their careers after that. Um, so it was a, a disappointment that you know Newcastle couldn't beat Bradford, but you know just on on a final note on the Crystal Palace, uh, it is a a famous uh, an infamous place for Newcastle United, and I would urge any Newcastle fan who uh heads down to london uh for a football match or just a break and especially if you're going to the crystal palace game uh to to try and spend some time uh looking at the old crystal palace grounds it's great for nostalgia you can walk around the old palace park uh just about as it was 100 years ago uh see the remnants of the dramatic glass palace and see the old arena that uh, newcastle played all those cup finals in it's well worth a visit and I, i would as I say, urge anyone with a history uh, interest of Newcastle United to make a visit.
0: Absolutely, yes. I'm definitely going to do that. It sounds like a fantastic uh, thing to do. I mean, I make that four unsuccessful attempts to win the FA Cup at the Crystal Palace for Newcastle. Luckily, it would only host three more after this one. And then after World War One, finals were played briefly at Stamford Bridge before the Empire Stadium at Wembley opened in 1923. That's a shame about Peter McWilliam and Albert Sheppard's injuries. Can you tell us a bit about Peter McWilliam? Because we haven't spoken about him so much yet.
1: Yeah, well, he uh, was another special player for Newcastle United. Um, the side included many Scots, as we've uh, noted, and several very talented playmakers. Peter M- McWilliam was, was probably the best of the lot. He was from Inverness. Uh, he arrived on Tyneside as a young lad. Um, he was actually due to sign for Sunderland as a trial a trialist, but he knew uh, Andy McCombie who was at Newcastle at the time and he met him at Newcastle Central Station and took him away to St. James's Park and he never arrived at Roker Park at all. So uh-huh. that was a bit of good luck for uh, Newcastle United. Uh, he became known as Peter the Great during the 1900s and he appeared on a regular basis for Scotland. Um, after he finished playing, he later became a top manager as well with Tottenham. Uh, he became one of few ex-players to lift the FA Cup as a manager. So he was a very talented individual, uh, both as a player and a manager.
0: Brilliant. And I know Newcastle didn't win the FA Cup that year, but for the record, how did the 1911 final play out?
1: Um, well, uh, they drew 0-0 in a pretty dismal game at uh, the Crystal Palace with Bradford City, who were a, a good top division one side and lost the replay 1-0 at Old Trafford. So it was a pretty dismal uh, cup final. Mm. Uh, Newcastle had actually beaten Bradford 6-1 in league action, so that shows a bit of a a difference between the two sides. But uh, they just couldn't get it right on the the final in either game. And by now, United's Edwardian Masters were starting to age a little bit and needed a total rebuild.
0: Yeah, so that takes us up to 1911-1912. The club played four full seasons here until the outbreak of World War one but there was no, nowhere near the level of success seen in the four years previous was there
1: no there wasn't really um 1911 12 you know before the decline really set in uh, they had a go for the title again uh, they finished in third place but they were pretty well off the uh, the top side and the following two seasons 1912 13 and 13 and 14 they went into a tra- transitional sort of period with mid table finishes as the directors tried to fashion a new lineup expensive new men arrived Uh, that wasn't the problem spending money uh, such as the scotland captain jimmy hay who was an exceptional midfielder and striker billy hibbert uh, who cost a new british record fee of 1950 pounds so they still had lots of talented players but they weren't quite the same as before and and then of course everything was put on hold as the great war erupted the season 1914-15 was played out
0: of course and we'll be covering that period in our next episode 1914 to 1918 Newcastle United and World War 1 so that's the episode done episode 6 Newcastle weren't able to bury the crystal palace curse but they did get their hands on the FA cup trophy before the aging squad somewhat lost its spark and the edwardian era closed out and we'll be back next week to chat about what happened after that. In our next episode in the meantime please subscribe to the Everything is Black and White podcast via whichever podcast platform you use follow Chronicle Live's Newcastle United channels on social media on Twitter Facebook and Instagram and keep an eye out for new episodes of this podcast Chronicle the history of Newcastle United we're bringing them out every week if you've got a history question about Newcastle United we've got the perfect person here to answer email them in to the EIBW Podcast at reachplc.com and I'll pick some of the best for future shows and we'll put them to Paul and see if you can answer them lastly Stay up to date with everything black and white by subscribing to our daily Newcastle United newsletter. It's free. You get a morning news roundup, an evening news roundup and breaking news as and when it happens directly emailed to the inbox. The link is in the show notes. Hit that, scroll down to Sport Newcastle United Updates, tick the box and you'll be signed up. Thanks so much for listening to Chronicles, the history of Newcastle United with me, Matt Ketchel and Paul You.